Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is John Leotier, uh, the founder of Right Mesh. John, how are you doing? Doing quite well. How are you? Good. Yeah, we're going to talk about, I guess, uh, you know, what you guys do in mesh computing. Um, I guess this is a new term, so maybe you could define for listeners what is mesh computing, and then let's talk about your solution in particular. Sure. I guess uh, the term mesh itself has been thrown around for a fair bit the last few years, but it's different terms to different people. For us, we really refer to mesh mesh software as opposed to the mesh routers or mesh hardware that's out there. So you have uh, a lot of different sort of hardware add-ons like the Gotenna and, and their sort of new uh, phone based add-on or the Eero routers, we actually focus entirely on mesh-based software. So software ma- mesh that lets people share and connect uh, directly. Uh, so is it, what about fog computing? Is that anything similar to mesh or is it just a distributed network network of computers or, you know, say more about it? Yeah, the, so the, the fog computing term is definitely sort of that, that last mile. So if you have the cloud up that operates up top, the fog, the fog computing part uh, it definitely would be considered. We also look at, at it almost as infrastructureless computing or infrastructureless uh, connectivity. So for us, it doesn't have to be a computer. Most of our computing power that we we work with is actually on the smartphone itself, or IoT device, or or computers. But really, it's the. So is it fog to mesh? I mean, sorry, cloud to mesh to fog, or is there like a hierarchy here in the system? A better way to think about it is the the current uh, network topology. If you look at uh, most communication today, most communication goes. From my device, if we were sitting in the same room, my device up to the cloud, back down to the Wi-Fi router, back to your device. And what we sort of look at is that most of those layers are unnecessary when you're sitting there on a device that can be broadcasting, receiving signal. And I'm, why do we need that centralized infrastructure? It's the whole decentralized nature is that you shouldn't require that those, those middlemen, and, and we really try to get rid of those. Well, what happens when you do? <clears throat> is communication more secure or faster? What are the benefits? You always hate to use the term more secure because it's, if you don't have the possibility of a middleman in the middle that could be snooping, could be listening, uh, if you don't have the opportunities for government interference or anybody sitting there monitoring your data, there's definitely some added levels of security in that regard. You obviously have to make sure that the communication itself that is transmitted is secure, but you have to be a bit more wary of that term, more secure, because there is some really good security that is done on the... A good way to think about it is if you uh, think of any great sci-fi movie you've ever watched, um, the best way to do the mothership is to take out that centralized node. And that's really what we're looking at from a, a decentralized system. If you take out that mothership, if you take out that centralized infrastructure, 
then you can actually just let people uh, operate. Most of the blockchain projects in our mind aren't, as long as you have the middleman layer, that, that ISP, uh, you're not decentralized. So we've done a great job of uh, trying to flatten the architecture and look at all the existing sort of internet models of the last last 15 years. And uh, really from the blockchain technology, the whole decentralized movement has been able to remove a lot of those a lot of those layers. Oh, all right. So tell me about your solution. How does it work? Sure. Well, maybe a better place to start then is to give you a bit more of a background because I think it's important to the context. So myself, I've been around since the, the dot-com era. I've been in the intersection between marketing and technology. We started a current company, uh, Left, which is the parent company to RightMesh, uh, back in 2010. And a few years ago, we went out to visit our team in Bangladesh. We have a team of 60, uh, 60 65 people out in Bangladesh. And one of the things we realized is that life over in Bangladesh is not like life here in the West. It's infrastructure and what, has, what the networks are like over there, it's just, it can't compare. You you download an app, and that app takes 20 to 30 minutes to download. Uh, power goes out four or five times wow. a day. So what sort of happened a few years ago is that I was sitting on a Skype call uh, with our team lead over there, and unbeknownst to me, every time we'd have a Skype call, he'd go on into the other room and tell the developers, everybody get off the Internet, have to have a Skype call with Canada. Developers being developers, and they said, well, this is kind of silly. We, we can't use the Internet because of bandwidth constraints, but all we're trying to do is sort of share files back and forth. Well, why do we need the Internet for that? Early protocol that has uh, became our sort of our first-generation technology that allowed for device-to-device communication without using internet or without using a data plan. Uh, our mobile team says, hey, that's really cool. Uh, what about me? My computer is a smartphone. Why can't we just use that? So built this technology. They showed it to us. said, hey, John, what do you think? And I, my first response is, holy shit, guys, that's incredible. What do you want to do with it? And their response was, I want to give it to the local university. There's huge problems in the university right now where all the major services, the WhatsApp, the Dropbox, the YouTube, the all the collaboration tools we we here in the West take for granted. And we said, we, we want to give it to them as a as a tool that they can make their lives better. And we said, well, let's just not give it to, to that one university. Let's give it to all universities. And that really sent us on this path down this whole decentralized mesh technologies. And we've evolved been evolving that platform ever since, uh, very, very soon. That is that true multi-hop device connectivity with, with proper routing across the mesh to truly decentralize the whole infrastructure layer. This sounds like an obvious uh, obvious thing. I wonder why I didn't think about it. I guess you didn't think about it until it came up this way. But who's working on this kind of stuff in addition to you guys? Is it uh, well, is this a thought in a lot of people's minds, or is it just people don't, don't realize it's, it's needed? It's been talked about for many years, and if you, if you go back, I'm not sure... Uh, your generation, but I used to bring my my PC over to my buddy's house, and we used to run a LAN cable from my laptop or from his machine, my machine. We played Doom and Quake and all those games back in the day. It's just rather than having a fixed wire, you have wireless. Rather than having a big PC, you now have a, a supercomputer that sits in the palm of your hand. So in a way, a lot of what large for what people wanted to do 10, 15, 20 years ago, they couldn't do back then. You can do right now. Uh, there's the pervasiveness of smartphones and the the ubiquity that they're seeing right now is just there's just more of them and they're in, in denser environments. You're, we're what's this in by the year 2020 we'll have six billion smartphones on the planet. So before it, it hasn't been physically possible. You haven't had the devices, but it is really hard science. It, it's to truly go out and build mesh technologies. It's required some super hard science that our, our team's been able to build. We have uh, several PhDs who have been studying this stuff for the last 12 years, and and in their words. Uh, building mesh technologies for hardware—that's easy. It's—I mean, not easy. It's still hard for the hard for people like myself, who's not that pure scientist. Pro-
but uh, as soon as you start taking it from a software level and say, okay, well, the number one requirement is we want it to work on every single smartphone on the planet. Oh, and we don't want to have to root the phone in the process. That becomes extremely complicated. It's hard. So that's some of the reasons why it's so difficult to do. Yeah, it's it's the, um, from our perspective, we had to basically strip down, Android is a primary platform that we use. Uh, we had to strip things right down to the very base level and go into the, the core routing protocols uh, to make sure that you can operate on every single device that's out there. So we operate Android 4 and above. So basically all the uh, emerging market smartphones that are out in existence right now, we can operate on those. Java-enabled devices we also support. iOS, maybe one day, but most of our customers are not, and those end users are not going to be Apple users. It's, Apple has a pretty walled garden in how they deal with their software. So, but makes it hard is that what, or, or from, from a mesh perspective, up until now, there hasn't been really a way to encourage somebody to to give up their data or give up their resources to another user. It's, if you look at sort of the, the advent of incentivization, the advent of, of tokenization, it wasn't until we started to, to explore that that it, the mesh really said, hey, you know what, this makes sense. It's, it's when we uh, released our, our first-generation technology and we went out to the users and said, okay, we've built this, what do you think? Because that's what you do when you launch a product. You actually go out and talk to people. So this is amazing. This is great technology. We can do all these wonderful things, hmm. but what's in it for me? Say, well, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if I'm going to give up my data to somebody else, if I'm going to have my phone use some battery, and we're pretty battery, uh, battery safe and battery, battery solid, I guess you want to say, but if I'm going to give it up, what's in it for me? So we started looking at tokenization, and uh, luckily, in a way, uh, a bit of a fortuitous timing, our, our team made a decision about a year and a half, two years ago, to solve one of the other problems that they had, is that in a mesh-enabled world, uh, you don't, you can't use traditional identity methods. It doesn't exist because not everything connects to the internet. Address, like a MAC address or something. Well, uh, we have a, a group of about ten devices in in the office here. From uh, they got from China, sort of a, a forty dollars smartphone. Uh, they all have the same MAC address. Um, so we, we needed a new way to to oh. identify uh, technologies and what the uh, the team did. Say, well, there's this new thing out there called Ethereum, and they've had a great uh, cryptographically generate a, a secure wallet or secure ID on a device. We can use that. So in the early days, before we started looking at the incentivization and tokenization, uh, we started using Ethereum and a code to generate a secure ID on the device. <laughs> Luckily, as it goes where the luck part comes in, uh, we now have every single mesh node that we can create, whether you're a smart uh, IoT device that uh, upon generation or runtime, it spits up and generates this unique Ethereum node, uh, well, not a whole Ethereum node, but an Ethereum ID or Ethereum wallet, uh, that can be used um, with that to natural extension then to introduce tokenization of mesh. Oh, so you're using uh, an Ethereum as the identity for a particular device? Uh, every time I sit down with them over a beer, it says, well, how about this? Can we do that? I said, well, yeah, we you know. We could do that, and then they scribble on a few things in a word, and then they go off and start building it. So it's you get smart people in the room and uh, who are values aligned to change the world, and uh, amazing things happen. Yeah, well, you're lucky. Usually, the entrepreneur. When we started the company, uh, I said we've been around for seven years. Uh, we really set out to uh, let's use technology and innovation and a bit of sort of market awareness to figure out how we can change the world. It's, we called the company left because we were a little bit perverse and we wanted to do things right. But when we sort of started out, we didn't really know what we would be building in a way that would change the world. We just knew that we had to build something to change the world. It became very values-aligned, very mission-driven organization. And when we first started seeing this technology start to emerge out of our team, it's like, well, this, this is transformative. And then we're building and assembling the team to go out and execute ever since. Well, if you don't mind, can we step through how it works just on a simple level? And I could see some of the benefits, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm clear 
enough on it. Um, so would you mind, again, stepping through how it works and what are some of the benefits, you know, maybe to first world people and to third world people? Uh, give me a couple of so, use cases. Yeah, let, let's sort of step back to the, to the how it works. So what, really what we've created is this underlying protocol, this software stack that can be embedded into any existing application or built with any new application. So yes, we're building some applications ourselves, but really we, we've created this software tool that existing app developers can incorporate into their existing apps. Uh, so we can take an existing application, could be a game, could be a messaging application, could be a file sharing application, emergency communications during a hurricane or something like that, and they can take our technology and they can embed it into their own existing technology, typically in about five to six lines of code, and that application now becomes decentralized. So at the start then, the device itself can broadcast and receive multitude of, of signals, be it Wi-Fi, be it Bluetooth, be it Wi-Fi Direct, and we use a combination of all of them, sometimes simultaneously, to find the most efficient path to route data from one device to another. So your device can be seen on more than one network at a time, uh, is really what it comes down to, or rapidly switch between networks so it's virtually appearing on more than one network at a time. You know what's interesting? I just thought of, what if you split up the data stream between a whole bunch of different communication protocols to end you know, had it encrypted and did that, would that make it uh, more secure? Uh, absolutely. And you're describing right mesh right now. That's exactly what we do. And you guys are smart. That's really cool. Security side, we, we took the signal protocol, which is sort of a uh, using WhatsApp and a bunch of other technologies, and we said, okay, let's figure out a way to make what the, the signal protocol work in an offline environment because uh, signal typically requires that internet server in the middle. And we said, well, our customers, our users aren't operating in an online internet connected world. It's, uh, we have some early customers out of Cuba. And internet connectivity, as you can imagine, in Cuba is very, very, very poor. For one hour of internet connectivity, it costs, I think it's 20% of your monthly income. So it, it's uh, emerging markets where you don't really have a choice to consume content, to consume information. You, you really are looking for any of the opportunities. And what we think is going to happen is that you're going to have a, an entire generation from emerging markets that are going to leapfrog what is currently transpiring in the West, where we basically are going into this giant mothership of centralization where you as the consumer are the product, and that should not be the case. So you, you, are you getting pushback from the motherships out there You know that uh, have these platforms and these networks that they're pulling so much data from and so much money from? Yeah, it's we, we quick little story here. The, the very first time we showed off the software and the technology, and really the I would say we, we had a little bit more than vaporware. This is over two years ago. We were at a a telecom show, basically going into the the lion's den and, and saying, uh, "Hi, we're a small little company up in up in Canada, and we've created this thing." Not knowing really what we've created because this is still in the early days. Uh, one of the telecom companies, you guys done what? We had a, a conversation last, uh, heavily involved in the uh, decentral community. And we're having some great conversations about the potential of the technology and where we see the, the future going. And, and I said afterwards to my partner, I said, hey, we, we finally found our people. Because for years, we've been talking to different people in the established community, be it the telecom companies, the operators, the ISPs, the internet companies, even the, or the VCs, investors in, in that market. And in a way, we, we've, been, we've been beating that drum, but this is what we can do. And, and then we quite realized that their entire world is about to come crashing down and they don't realize it. So when we started talking to the central community, then they, we realized, hey, these are our people. They understand that the world doesn't have to be as it is. It can be much better. The, what does the future look like with the right mesh model? You know, Give me a few examples of what will be different, how we'll interact and you know, go about our lives differently. Sure. So it's uh, from, from you in the West, um, it probably would have limited, limited impact in the near future. Uh, it's maybe an event of natural disasters or problems of, of that nature. You could then use the technology to communicate over multiple hops at some pretty high speeds. But in the emerging markets, which is where really our focus is, 
uh, we can change things immediately. It, it's we've been uh, talking to, to some groups where you have um, high density and uh, low connectivity options. So, for example, trains in Mumbai, where you have I think it's 15 to 16 million people riding trains every day. It's we can actually work within existing applications that do train scheduling and, and things like that so that you don't actually have to query the public infrastructure to get the train schedule. So it's a relatively simple, simple use case, but mm, you can get the okay. schedule from your peer. Uh, you can play cards or interactive games with people on the train. Uh, you can message back and forth and coordinate your, your auto rickshaw, that basically your um, Uber pooling of, of your rickshaw, uh, with people when they get off the train to go to your office. All that kind of communication and activity that we just assume must go up to Internet does need to go to the Internet. From the, the, the blockchain community, as an example, we've We've been saying that blockchain is great, comma, if you have connectivity. It's if you look at a lot of the remittance programs that are out there, and they're they're great programs, and it's the we really appreciate what they're trying to do. But that assumes that the person on the other end has connectivity. And the reality is, in large parts of the world, in large parts of these emerging markets, those consumers don't have connectivity. Another example: we're working on a proof of concept right now up in in northern Canada, right on the edge of the, the Arctic Circle. It's a, a small little isolated uh, Inuit town with about 300 homes, basically with one sort of internet connection amongst those 300 homes. And we're up there working with some universities to connect the town and find out ways that we can connect from house to house to house and, and, go, and go back and forth uh, through our connectivity in that, in that area. But one of the things that was sort of go in there, we started to talk to others in the community, and there's applications that environmental sensors and land sensors looking at climate change, and they said, we have all this great data on these sensors, but we can't get it out to the laboratories and to the, the research groups that are in other parts of the country to, to study because there is no internet connectivity. And I said, well, technology can talk to the sensors, and, and basically it's all done autonomously, and as soon as you can do that, the data from the sensor can pass to the smartphone, to pass to the internet, and then it can be processed. That doesn't require internet to do so. This is, yeah, this is really fascinating. Wow. I mean, it's hard to even think of all the uses of it. But um, what about how do you determine in a network who is trusted and who is not? You know, how do you keep your device, for instance, secure against you know bad actors that want to get into a network and corrupt it and put themselves forth as a like a false prophet or a false source of information? Yeah, well, it, it, we have full full end-to-end security across the data that moves across the mesh. Once again, it goes back into that unique identity that was set up from that Ethereum account that we can uniquely identify a node. And once you've uniquely identified a node. Um, you do need to to authentically authenticate yourself with public and private keys with others on that on that mesh. So right now, if you are communicating with a a node that's a single hop away, no way that those keys can be encrypted or or can be stolen and, and obfuscated, or whatever. What we sort of look at from a if you're trying to authenticate across a multi-hop, uh, there is risk uh, today as there would, would be if you're going across your your internet router that somebody could be sitting on that router. So what we're sort of looking at is, is new ways of splitting up that, that communication pro, uh, protocol for that first first key exchange. And that's sort of, sort of still in progress, but we have a few ideas um, on how to solve that. And a big big part there is that if you think back to uh, most mesh technologies that have tried to go out, they've basically been naively broadcasting out across the mesh. It's, um, I have a message to go out, and I basically send it to everybody nearby. And then everybody who gets that forwards it to everybody else nearby. And that very quickly does not scale because you uh, 1 to 4, 4 to 16, and so on and so on. What we do is we have a intelligent routing protocol that, that doesn't just broadcast it out randomly. We intelligently route the message across one or more devices to efficiently get the information from point A to point C. As soon as you start doing that routing, it's very hard to pick, as somebody who's sitting in the middle, what would be 
sit in the middle if I don't know which route you're going to go across. Mm. So, but we're, we're we're working at ways to even make that more secure. We're uh, we don't have central infrastructure that that stores information. We don't store identity on our servers. We don't have servers in that. We really try to make sure that sort of contrary to our core to our philosophy is that privacy is is super important. Security is either government agencies or middlemen who want to control information and shut down information. We don't like it. It's, we we believe that people should have a right to communicate. It, it's uh, they should have the right to privacy, and that's sort of been been core to our philosophy ever since. How can listeners find out more? I mean, is a lot more to find out, it sounds like. Where can they go to engage with you? Well, we've just published our our two white papers. We published a product-based white paper that outlines the vision that we're out to, and we also have a technical paper. Uh, where we are right now is that we'd love to feedback from the from the community. Uh, we are mesh experts. That's our, our core expertise. We are still learning the cryptocurrency tokenization aspect of it, so we'd love to get feedback from the listener in that area. If listeners go to rightmesh.io, that's R-I-G-H-T, not uh, rightmesh.io, and you can, uh, we'll also be doing a whole bunch of rounds over the next next two months as we start to engage with the community, and uh, we'll be in London in, in a few weeks' time, in Barcelona, and Dubai, and Mumbai, and uh, I'll, I think of four of the next six weeks I'm on the road, so uh, we'll be out there yeah. if you own the communities, please come by and say hi. If you're ever in the Vancouver area. John, thanks. This is really great, and you guys really uh, have some amazing ideas going, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Anytime. Thanks for your time. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.